morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Josh. One of the pastors here. Great to see you. Uh, what a week as so we finish our time in the book of Acts. Let me pray as we get stuck in and sit under God's word. Father, thank you so much that you speak to us, that through your very living and active words, you change us to be more like your son and to put our trust in Jesus. We pray you might speak to us powerfully this morning. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in September 1914, Ernest Shackleton set sail. Uh, With 27 men on his ship, his goal was to be the first person to sail across Antarctica. How did it go? Not well. Things didn't go to plan at all. Uh, Right as they started, they got trapped in ice and drifted for about 10 months. Uh, They escaped on boats to a nearby island and lived off seal meat, penguins and their dogs. But incredibly, no one on their ship died. Uh, When Shackleton was looking for people to join him on his dangerous mission, it said that this is the ad he put in the paper. Man wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return, doubtful, honour and recognition in event of success. How's that for an ad? Apparently, about 5,000 people applied. They knew it was going to be hard, lonely, and perhaps even fatal. There was no promise or guarantee that they could really hold on to if anything went wrong. In a boat surrounded by an ice field the size of a country, they would have felt weak and very, very stoppable. In the passage we just read this morning, we see another perilous sea journey. And the question it gets us to wrestle with is, is Jesus stoppable? Uh, There might be some of you this morning wrestling genuinely with this question at the moment that things are going a bit crazy in your life. Things are kind of spiraling out of control and, uh, you know, people are telling you, I know that I need to trust Jesus, but it kind of feels like he's not doing anything. Is he stoppable? What should I expect from him? How can you find something firm to cling on to that brings real comfort in the middle of the storms of life? That might not be you. Some of you will go, I don't really think that Jesus can be stopped. I'm not really in the middle of a storm in life. But to be honest, what has any of this got to do with me when I get up tomorrow morning for work or uni or school or to screaming children? What does it matter if Jesus is stoppable or not? Maybe you can see how Jesus would help you in the crazy times. But how does he help me to live in the daily times? For you, this passage wants to shine a light on a clear purpose, which brings light and purpose to all of those things. But maybe that's not you again, because maybe some of you go, I just don't care. Why, Why do I need to hear this at all? Well, for you, you need to know that there is a bigger power at work in this world that we're going to see on display. It's one that you can't see, but it's there, and it directs your life and the course of history. And when you get it, It'll totally change your life. I trust God will speak and change you as we sit under his word this morning. So let's get stuck in. Point one, Jesus' promises are unstoppable. Let me remind you of where we're up to. Uh, Paul is under arrest. He's in Caesarea and he's been in a bunch of court cases over the last couple of weeks. And now he's appealed his case to Caesar. 
And so now he has to be transported from Caesarea in Italy to Rome. So I've got a map of Paul's journey and you can see where he is in Caesarea. He's kind of down the bottom there and he's got to get all the way to the top left in Rome, in Italy. It's a long way. And they don't have planes or anything like that. You have to go on a ship with no motors. And so you just get on and you just have to kind of hope that the winds will eventually take you there at some point. And so let's follow the journey and see what happens. Have a look down at verse 3. It'd be great to have your Bibles open. We're going to be flicking around a bit. Verse 3. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends to be cared for. So you've got Paul starts down here in Caesarea and makes the little journey to Sidon. And it starts pretty well. They make that first little centimetre pretty good. And then they move on, verse 4, where things start to get a little bit worse. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. They're going in the right direction, but it started to slow down because the winds against them. So they land here in Myra. They're doing pretty well. You want to be going kind of across the coastland when you're sailing on a big journey. Open sea is dangerous. Uh, at Myra, they have to change ships, the one that's heading to Italy. Have a look at verse 7. From Myra... We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty to Snidus. And as the winds did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens. So they're here, and where you'd want to go from there is kind of shoot straight across. That's kind of the easiest way, but the winds don't let them. The winds blow them south, and they end up down the bottom under kind of Salmon Crete, and they're stuck in Fair Havens. It's very difficult, and things are about to get even more dangerous. Have a look down at verse 9. The voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. Wow. We all know what that means, right? It's Luke's way of telling us that it's around October, which in the northern hemisphere is heading towards winter, i.e., this is a terrible time to go sailing. It's not a sunny cruise in Greece. This is getting downright dangerous. And it's exactly the same way today. If you've been over there, people don't rent yachts at that time of year. You don't do it. It's too dangerous. Which is why in the next section, Paul warns them. He says, don't go on sailing. Like, this is a terrible idea. But of course, they do go on and it goes terribly. There's a violent storm and things get so bad, they start throwing all of their supplies overboard. And then verse 20, have a look. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, no, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Things got so bad that they completely lost hope of surviving. They thought they were going to die. Have you ever been at storm, in a storm at sea? It'd be terrifying. They're in it for two weeks. But after two weeks, they end up spotting a bit of land and they run aground on a reef. And the waves are so massive that it starts tearing the boat to pieces and, and they're scrambling around trying to figure out what are we going to do with the boats falling apart? We've got prisoners on the ship, what are we going to do with them? And the soldiers come up with a great idea, apparently. Verse 42, the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners lest any should swim away and escape. So it seems like Paul has survived this miraculously kind of sea journey that should have killed him, only to then be killed by the soldiers. But verse 43, have a look. The centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. Paul manages to survive again. 
And so everyone then makes their way from the boat to land and some swim. And then verse 44, the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship rode waves into shore. Did you hear what I heard? This is the first ever record of surfing. You can imagine Paul catching a wave and he thought, I should try standing up on this. And this is pretty fun. I'm going to walk down the front maybe, do some turns, pull into the barrel. What can't the Apostle Paul do? But the adrenaline soon wears off because once Paul's ashore, he's in danger again. Have a look at chapter 28, verse 3. When Paul had gathered a bundle of six and put, uh, and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. It seems like now he's uh, survived the shipwreck and the plot to kill him, only now to be killed by a poisonous snake. The locals saw it and thought, he's got no chance of surviving. He must be an evil man to survive all these things and then the snake come and get him. But verse 5, have a look. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Incredible. What a great story. A dangerous journey of a wrongly convicted man, a shipwreck, an assassination plot, surfing. What more could you want in a great story? But what's the point of it all? Why does Luke almost finish his entire book by telling this story? What's going on? Well, Luke writes this chapter to show us that Jesus is ruling and he can't be stopped. See, right back at the start of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1, Luke starts by saying this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that but Jesus began to do and teach. I.e., the rest of Acts is what Jesus continues to do. He is still at work now. And one of the ways we see Jesus at work in Acts is working to fulfill his promises. We see that when Jesus makes a promise, he works in anything and everything to make sure that it happens. And that's what we see in this chapter. And see, Jesus made two promises that get fulfilled when Paul lands in Rome, which he does in verse 16. The first promise is literally Jesus promising Paul that he'd get to Rome. Flip back just a page to chapter 23, verse 11, maybe two pages. Chapter 23, verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said... Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Jesus says you're going to get to Rome. The second promise is what's really been driving the entire book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. It's coming up on the screen. But you will receive power, this is Jesus speaking, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts has been the story of people witnessing about Jesus moving outwards to the end of the earth. And Rome is the end of the earth. If the witnesses of Jesus get to Rome, it's made it to the ends of the earth. So if you want to change the world with an idea, then it's got to get to Rome. Because Rome is so central. And because from Rome, it can spread out to everywhere. See, it's said that all roads lead to Rome. And it was pretty literally true back in the day. And in this chapter, we see the ultimate witness make it to Rome, exactly as Jesus promised. Even though humanly, you read it all the way through and it seems like Paul's never going to get there. Everything is against Paul. He's under arrest. The storm is against him. The soldiers are against him. The viper's against him. But the hand of Jesus is so clear. 
behind the scenes working to bring Paul to Rome just as he said he would. Even though, humanly speaking, it seemed completely impossible. Yet this ironic detail in chapter 28, verse 11, have a look at it, kind of really brings this point home. Uh, It says that the ship arrived in Italy with the twin gods as a figurehead. It's a detail about the ship having the gods of safe sea travel kind of plastered to the front of their boat that seamen used to invoke gods to keep them safe on their journeys on sea. But when they arrive, it's, it's so clear that they don't get to work because of this little statue on the front of the boat. It's because of the work of the true God, orchestrating events to keep his promises. This chapter shows us that Jesus' promises are unstoppable. It shows us his character, that he's trustworthy, that he's faithful, that he's a promise keeper, that he can't and won't ever go back on his promises. So what does knowing this about Jesus actually do for us? We'll have a look at what it does for Paul in the storm. Chapter 27, verse 22, when the people are on the boat in the middle of the storm thinking they're going to die, this is what Paul says. Chapter 27, verse 22. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and worship, and he said... Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. Paul has total faith in the promises of Jesus so he can stand firm in the storm. While other men panic and have nothing else to hold on to, Paul knows that Jesus' promises are unstoppable, and so he can stand firm and be anchored in the crazy. When things are completely out of control, even when it seems like there's no chance that Jesus can actually come good on his promises, Paul has complete confidence. And you see, it's not because Paul has amazing faith. He's not the best at having faith. It's because he's got the best God. He knows what Jesus is like. And when you get it, it totally changes your life. You can see what it does for Paul. Now, we're not promised that we're going to get to Rome. So what are the promises that we can hold on to in the storm? There's stacks. Let me show you three. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful promise to hold on to in the storm. That if you are in Christ Jesus, if you trust Jesus, then you stand before God uncondemned. When you feel like your life is a mess, when you think that there's no way God could love me, not, not after that, I'm too far gone. You can hold on to the promise that there is no judgment in Christ Jesus. You are deeply loved and there's nothing you can do to change that. Just hold on to Jesus. That is a promise that you can cling to. Let me give you another one, one that's sometimes misunderstood. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. It's a wonderful promise. But it's not saying that God's just always going to do generally good things for you, or that something good will always come from something bad. Verse 29 tells us specifically the good that God is working for in those who love him. Have a look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined 
to be conformed to the image of his son. That is the good that God is working all things for, to make you more like Jesus. God is going to be at work in everything and everything in your life to make you more like Jesus. That is a promise you can hold on to no matter what. Even when it seems like things are so hard that this thing is going to maybe take me away from the Lord. No, you can trust God that he's working right now to make you more and more like Jesus. That is a promise you can hold on to in the storm. But maybe you're not in the middle of a storm. Maybe things are going pretty well for you. Even in the good times, and maybe even especially in the good times, we can struggle to hold on to God's promises. Let me show you one promise in 2 Peter 3 that we can struggle to believe to hold on to, I think, in the good times. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Here's a promise about the end of the world. This world will end. You can bet on it because Jesus has promised it. But the crazy thing is, I often live as though this world's going to go forever. I put my effort into and dream about things that are maximizing my life in this world, a world that's going to end. But if you trust the promise of Jesus about this world, then that is a crazy way to live, isn't it? Is that you? Jesus' promises are unstoppable. They, they give us something to cling to in the storms and something to guide our lives with even when we're not in the storm. And so then we come to the very last part of Acts. Point two, where what we see is that Jesus' mission is unstoppable and it's not yet finished. We're not going to go into detail of what happens when Paul's in Rome, but what we see from verse 17 to verse 28 is Paul preaching the gospel to the Jews in Rome, fulfilling Jesus' mission from chapter 1, verse 8, where people are witnessing about Jesus to the ends of the earth. And we get the usual pattern of Acts that some people hear and believe and Jesus' mission goes forward, while others reject the message, which means that the mission of Jesus still actually goes forward. Because verse 28, have a look. Therefore, because you haven't believed... Let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Even when the Jews reject the, mission, uh, the message of Jesus, Jesus' mission still goes forwards. It goes to the nations. The mission of Jesus is unstoppable. And we see it on full display in the way that Acts ends, both in what it says and in what it doesn't say. What it does say at the end of Acts is a great picture of Jesus' unstoppable mission. Have a look at verse 30. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense, welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without ignorance. I want you to have to think for a second. If you were to try and think up a situation where you could stop the gospel spreading, what would you do? I reckon you'd get the guy who's most responsible for its spreading, you'd give him a near-death experience or three, uh, you put him under house arrest and you never ever let him leave his house again. You hinder him in every way possible. But did you see the description of Paul? 
All those things were happening to him. And it says that you can sum up that period of his life by saying that he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. Isn't that amazing? Paul is hindered in every physical way. But the gospel is completely unchanged. Unchained even. Jesus' mission is unstoppable. It's a great encouragement from how Acts ends. But did you notice what's not at the end of Acts? An end. It doesn't really resolve. What happened to Paul? He's on this kind of big journey to meet Caesar and what happens? What, what happens after that? It kind of just feels like this massive anticlimax. It just kind of ends. There's so much we're still waiting to see happen. And that's kind of the point, I think. Because it shows us that the mission is still going. It's completely unstoppable, but it's not yet finished. There is more to be written. We looked earlier at 2 Peter 3 and saw the promise that this world is ending. But we skipped over what it said about why the world hasn't ended yet. Why is the earth still spinning? Do you know? What would you say? Why is the earth still going? Have a look at 2 Peter chapter 3. This is verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The world is still spinning for one reason. Because the mission of Jesus is still going. Jesus is waiting and working so that more people will turn to him. That they'll repent. The ending, or really the non-ending of Acts, wants to show us that Jesus' mission is bigger than Paul. It's bigger than the book of Acts. That This isn't the last chapter of God's mission. This is the start. And it gets us to ask two questions, I think. Have we responded to Jesus' call? And are we on board with Jesus' mission? Have you responded to Jesus' call? The only reason that this world is still spinning is so that you would turn to Jesus. Have you turned to him? If you haven't, it is great that you're here this morning. I want you to consider that you might be here this morning because Jesus wants you to be here, to hear this. We've seen how we can orchestrate the events of the whole world. It's, it's not too hard for him to do. The world is still spinning because he wants people to turn to him. If you haven't yet, please investigate Jesus more. Come back to church at Easter next week where we're going to see exactly why Jesus came to earth and how his death and resurrection can mean eternal life for you. It is brilliant. If you're someone who already knows Jesus, praise God. The question is, are you on board with Jesus' mission? Are you captured by Jesus' unstoppable mission, driven by the fact that he is still ruling? Because Jesus' mission is unstoppable. But is it slowing down when it gets to you? What could it look like to be on board with Jesus' unstoppable mission? Well, I reckon Paul's final days are a pretty good example of a life that gets it. Living at his own expense, welcoming people, and proclaiming the kingdom and teaching about Jesus with all boldness. When you're totally captured by the truth that Jesus is ruling and he's working on his unstoppable mission, this is a great way to think about life. 
Most of us, like Paul, will need to live at our own expense to fund ourselves to be part of Jesus' mission. Though some of us won't, and we should all consider if we are someone who should be set apart to not have to work for money in order to devote ourselves to this vocation of paid ministry. But this is a picture of a life completely devoted to the mission of Jesus. Paul knows what life's about. And the book of Acts has shown us this term and term one last year that this is the only thing worth devoting our lives to. This is the best thing to devote your life to. This is where the whole world is heading. This is the only reason why the world is still spinning. And it's totally worth it. Because Jesus' mission is unstoppable. Jesus is unstoppable. Jesus' promises are unstoppable, which help us to stand firm in the crazy. And his mission is unstoppable, which helps us to live for him in the daily. See, unlike Shackleton's journey across Antarctica, where he couldn't make any promises and he didn't really have any idea how it was going to end, we know that Jesus is unstoppable. So entrust yourself to his unstoppable promises, which will help you to stand firm in the crazy and devote yourself to his unstoppable mission, which will help you to live in the daily. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that Jesus is unstoppable. Thank you that we can trust his promises because his promises are unstoppable. Please help us to hold on to his promises even and especially when things are hard. And help us to be boldly on board with Jesus' mission, knowing that success is guaranteed because your mission is unstoppable. Amen.